0: From the studios of KPCW in Park City, it's This Green Earth, a weekly talk show about the environment and our relationships with it. I'm Chris Cherniak.
1: And I'm Nell Larson. Well, on today's show, we first speak with Jordan Clayton from the Utah Snow Survey. As the new water year begins, Utah reservoirs and soil moisture are in a good spot. Jordan will give us a review of the past water year, which ended on September 30th, and an update on the state's current conditions with respect to river, reservoir, and soil moisture conditions, and maybe even some snowpack. That's all in the first part of the show.
0: Then in the second half of the show, we'll turn our attention to our (laughs) co-host, who I hear is moving... This comes as a complete surprise to me, you know, (laughs) she's moving on from her executive director position at Swanner Preserve and Eco Center to a new job at Los Alamos Laboratory in New Mexico. I'll talk to Nell about her new roles and responsibilities at the lab. Her experiences and successes working almost 17 years at Swanner and the work that, remains i assume of course we're not you're not closing this because you're leaving right (laughs) no
1: unfortunately there's still a lot to be done
0: okay we're going to get into (laughs) that environmental awareness and education and nell larson and that's what this green earth is all about stay with us welcome to this green earth the weekly talk show about our relationships with and impacts upon the environment I'm Chris
1: Cherniak. I'm Nell Larson. And
0: joining us for the first part of the show is Jordan Clayton. He is with the Utah Snow Survey and he's here to give us an update on all things water uh, and maybe even some snow uh, with respect to the state of Utah. Jordan, thanks so much as always for joining us this morning on This Green Earth. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you. Well, let's let's start here. the water year, quote-unquote, wrapped up on September 30th, and now we're in a new water year. Uh, why Why is the water year, first of all, from uh, October 1st to September 30th? What's special about that?
2: Yeah, it, it synchronizes pretty well with sort of two disparate seasons that we have. We've got the accumulation season where we – we hope to have a surplus through the winter. We're gathering more and more moisture in the form of snow and storing it on our mountain and our snowpack and then we release all that and then of course have that all all that water in our reservoirs and our soils um through the summer um, and then things tend to be in a little bit of a transition period at the end of September into october so it's it's kind of a natural fit. It doesn't work well uh or it doesn't work perfectly in any geographic location, but it works pretty well for Utah.
0: Right. Okay. So the water year ended September 30th. How did things unfold in the past water year in general? Let's. I guess let's take it uh, with, res- first, uh, with respect to snow and snowpack.
2: Right. So 2023 water year was one to remember. This was definitely the highlight of my career since I've been watching and, and monitoring Utah snowpack for the last 12 years or so. And then, you know, really going back to as far as anyone can remember because um, – Nobody's over 100 years old, That, <laughs> uh, or at least what should I say? We didn't have uh, the weather stations more than 100 years ago. Of course, we have people that are older than that. But mm-hmm. um, what I'm fumbling over saying is that this was mm-hmm. the best snowpack that we've ever had in the state of Utah, and we have monitored the snowpack <clears throat> for about 100 years. And so this was a, a pretty exciting time. Uh, being a little bit more specific, we measure the snow water equivalent at our snow telescope bites and we have 138 of those weather stations through the state of utah when we accumulate uh when we when we assemble all those um data from all those different snow toll sites we can get an overall average amount of snow water equivalent uh, across all those different weather stations and we reached 30 inches at our peak last april it was on april 6th to 8th 30 inches blew away our previous records from 1983 when we had snow tell stations uh, across the state as well <clears throat> and we also had manual measurement locations in the 1950s uh, that were better than 1983 and we blew away that record as well uh, so 2023 was truly the record year and we actually were uh, at nine of utah's 16 major watersheds we set records for the amount of snow water equivalent and we had one site with almost 83 inches of water 83 inches of snow water equivalent that's wow. the ben loman peak snow toll site and you just sort of think about that like a ruler against a wall, how much actual water that is, and that's all in the pond snow. Yeah. Yeah, it's just remarkable. So, and to the, be. The
0: snowpack, uh, go ahead, and, and, and just to clarify, snow water equivalent is obviously different than, say, snow depth. I mean, because there was probably 100, over 200, whatever inches of snow, but that snow water equivalent is uh, quite a different measurement.
2: Yes, it is, and thanks for, for clarifying that. I'm, I'm so excited to talk about the snow, I'm going a little too fast. <laughs> I get excited about these things. That's all right. So, yeah, the snow water equivalent is the amount of water that you would get if you melted out that particular section of snow. So you're absolutely right. If we In a typical fresh snow in Utah, we tend to have a low-density snow pack. It's our nice powdery snow. We'll tend to have between 5 and 10% um, density, which means that if we have 100 inches of snow, we have about the equivalent of ten inches of water in that snowpack, or maybe even only five inches of water um, here what we're saying is the the amount of water equivalent of that site the ben Lohan, Ben Loman Peak snow Hotel site was almost eighty three inches so the as you said the the snow depth was close to two hundred inches. Hmm.
1: It was an incredible winter, (laughs) that's for sure. Um, And then it's also been a little bit of a, I don't know, it seems to have been a wetter spring and summer. Um, So I'm curious to hear about that part of the water year as well. Like what did that look like in comparison um, with recent years and long-time averages? Yeah, we we did pretty well. We had a couple sort of dud months uh, here and there. Um, April was actually,
2: uh, we don't really think about April being a a dry month this year, but it was actually a little bit below average. Mm Um, July, I think it was July that was uh, a little bit below average Um, but uh, August and September the monsoon kicked in and we ended the water year with some nice addition to our soil moisture. Uh, We we boosted that a little bit from that summer rain uh, which helped a lot. Um, We definitely saw above normal precip and also I think May and June so it was was pretty impressive. It, It really of course got the biggest boost from the snow pack season. Our biggest month for precipitation for the whole year were December, January, and March, and March actually set a record for the month. Uh, we, we received almost nine inches of water equivalent just in that one month, so it, it, it was just an extraordinary time. But we, like I say, we had a couple of slow months, but for the most part, we, we benefited almost uh, the entire calendar year.
0: So as a result, I want to assume that um, come say. June or so the reservoirs were full and river streams and rivers were running above average let's say Absolutely we
2: in early July Utah's rever- reservoir system was at 86% full 86% of capacity which is just amazing hmm. when you consider you know it was only at 42% full in November so that's just an amazing gain uh it, it's really an extraordinary amount of water now i'm i'm excluding like paul and salmon gorge when i when i relay those numbers but that's all the other major reservoirs in the state including strawberry and uh, willard bay and all those places so those are some pretty big water bodies uh and again that that was a huge increase in fact the the increase in our reservoir system capacity from may to july was about 30 percent which is the fastest that we'd seen um at least in the last decade if not longer
0: Uh, You said you excluded Lake Powell and Flaming Gorge. They must have rose, too, but maybe not to the same levels. Yeah, so
2: Lake Powell rose over 60 feet, which is a lot of water. And that that, that feels like a a big win, which it was, but that doesn't take Lake Powell anywhere close to where we need it to be. So one of the things we've been trying to do in our climate and water reports is to both be excited about the improvements that we've seen in the water year 2023 um, and from our snowpack and our stream flow and everything we've been talking about, but also to remind folks that our biggest two water bodies, the Great Salt Lake and Lake Powell that's, that are at the downstream of many of these basins um, still have a lot of work that they need. Uh, for example, the Great Salt Lake came up about four or five feet, depending on exactly when you look. Uh, it's a little bit complicated because they closed the berm and I, you probably have talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, it's still needed from the time it was at its, peak rise uh, at least another seven to 11 or so feet of water in that lake to get it to quote unquote normal conditions um and you know the same could be said for lake powell the numbers would be a little different but we definitely need at least one more above average snowpack year if not more than one uh to really replenish those two big water bodies and and the reason why is that our reservoir system was so depleted coming into 2023 that with all this water that we received a huge amount of water as we were just saying helped replenish our reservoir system but all those buckets were upstream from what was downstream which is again the great salt lake and lake powell so we did a good job filling up the upstream buckets a lot of water went into the ground as well and helped replenish the soil moisture and the groundwater which is great Mm -hmm. Um, but what we did not do uh, as much of is replenish the great salt lake and lake powell what well, we will do a better job doing next winter or excuse me next runoff season is replenishing those two big water bodies if we get back-to-back back good snowpack years because the reservoir system will still be pretty full and we'll have a lot more ability to pass through a lot of that extra water to those downstream areas
1: i'm glad you brought up that um great salt lake piece because it was my next question and You know, so you talked about how we filled up these, you know, sort of upstream buckets higher in our watersheds. You know, what does what does it take? Like how much, you know, precipitation or snowpacks, no water equivalent would we need this winter to get some of that, get more of that down Mm -hmm. to the Great Salt Lake itself?
2: Yeah. And I and I appreciate you asking that question also, because um, I want it gives me a chance to highlight something new that's coming out of our office. For this runoff season, for this forecast season in the spring, um, we're actually going to have a forecast point at the Salt Lake, which is something that we've kind of um, been lacking. We we can talk about all the major rivers feeding into the lake, but what we haven't done is, is have a specific forecast to say, based on this much snow, we anticipate this much filling of the lake. We will have that this coming spring for the first time, and, and I'm excited to be able to share that. And of course, it'll be free and, and posted on our webpage with everything else.
1: That's exciting. That'll be a fun one to watch.
2: It, it will be, yeah, and, and that that will come in parallel to several products that we've already rolled out that are also new, where you can click on um, the Great Salt Lake as, as a major basin for the first time uh, in our products, and you can find out not just for like the Bear or the Weber or the Provo, but for the whole Great Salt Lake Basin, what is the amount of snow water equivalent in terms of percent normal that it has. How much precipitation has it gotten relative to normal? All that stuff is new, um, and we're excited to share that as well.
0: So let's talk about uh, how all this snow and, and precipitation, snow water equivalent, et cetera, impacted the drought, because last year at this time, the state was in a pretty robust drought situation. Where, where did it end up? Uh, at the end of the uh, September 30th, end of the water year?
2: Yeah, it's always hard to answer quantitatively how we're doing in terms of the drought because there's so many different ways you can you can pursue that. Right. One of the ways that I've been looking at that is to look at overall <clears throat> uh, precipitation that the state has received and then to compare that to normal and, and then to build up a little bit of a deficit to, to help understand this is how many inches we've been in the hole relative to normal. And if you do that math, we've been in the hole uh, for the last several years. If you add up those those really three poor water years in a row, 2020, 2021, and 2022, we were in the hole maybe 13, 14 inches, uh, depending on exactly how you do the analysis, um, again, from a precipitation perspective. This year, we got 10.5 inches more precipitation than we got in 2022. Mm. and we And we cut that deficit, if you will, from a precipitation perspective by about two-thirds to three-quarters so it's it's definitely a big cut into our overall precipitation deficit it's an extraordinary turnaround Um, it does still suggest that there's a little bit of a deficit that's lingering Um, i think that again speaks to the low lake levels in the great salt lake and some of these other areas that that will need that extra water Um, but it's definitely a huge turnaround uh, you can also just see it visually when you go to the drought map for the state, which went from quite a lot of D3 and, and some D4 for the, the most extreme drought categories to really minimal drought around the state.
0: Right, okay, so everything benefits, like you touched upon, soil moisture content also uh, quite high or above normal as well?
2: Yeah, soil moisture is something that I, I really am passionate about and I and I just have to say there was a really exciting thing back in um in May. The soil moisture actually reached eighty three percent of saturation, which was a record for any date since we'd put in the, the soil moisture probes in the early two thousands. And for context, you know, each one of those one hundred and thirty eight weather stations in Utah has three soil moisture probes and they're measuring every hour how much moisture is in the ground and so if you look at all those data going back again to the early 2000s that was the most saturated utah soils have ever been (laughs) in that period now it's of course come down since then it's normal for things to get wet during snow melt Um, and we ended the water year at about 42 percent saturated which was above normal uh, and and a nice way
0: to end things
1: how do you kind of like define or quantify soil moisture like when we hear 83 percent is that like Eighty-three percent of what that specific type of soil can hold. Like, I'm curious what that means.
2: That's a great question. Yeah. So that's volumetric water content, and we just abbreviate that as VWC because we abbreviate everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah. So that's not um, the percent of how much it can hold. And in many cases, when you get a real high value of volumetric water content, you're talking about something that's in excess of what the soil can hold, and therefore you get that extra water either going. Deeper into the soil, or you know, into the groundwater, or it saturates and it, it moves off and it becomes through flow and, and goes
0: downhill. Right, and like you've always told us, Jordan, the soil takes its share first, uh, and then once it's hey satisfied or saturated <laughs> in this case, then the water runs off. So make the soil happy, and then uh, everybody else, <laughs> everybody else is happy, and that. Hey, and, and you're passionate about that, right? So that's, uh, that's all good news. And w- I might make a bumper sticker out of that. Let's yeah. make the soil happy. Make the soil <laughs> <Yeah>. happy. <laughs>
1: I'll put it in order for one, Jordan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you just join us, we're speaking with Jordan Clayton with the Utah Snow Survey. We're talking all things water uh, uh, and maybe even some snow and uh, the water year that just ended in September 30th. Um, yeah, is, is there any snow packed? That is measured uh, being measured right now, yeah, just a tiny bit
2: we've we've received you know a little bit of snow um from a storm about a week week ago or so um and there's a just a tiny bit of lingering snow at a couple of our snow sites, but those are places that are that are shaded <laughs> and haven't you know melted out we, most of the locations that received snow last week or the week before um it's melted out um that being said we see that there's definitely the potential for some pretty good snow moving in tomorrow night and through thursday uh looks like the little cottonwood canyon towards alta might get you know six to ten inches of of fresh snow which probably be about one to two inches of water equivalent Mm -hmm. so we're starting things off well there um we're a little bit behind in you know just speaking about precipitation overall a little bit behind in in southern utah uh, since october began Uh, There's definitely a north-south gradient where northern Utah got a boost in those early month storms, and it just really largely missed southern Utah, and there's been very um, very little activity since then, just kind of lingering high pressure has has stayed in the area. But but we're looking for that pattern to, to start to change here with this storm coming in.
1: Well, I was just going to ask, you know, are there any indicators, you know, if you break out your crystal ball for this coming fall and winter, um, what are you guys expecting? What are you looking for?
2: Yeah, it's always hard to, to reach out that far into the future. But one thing that we do look at
1: is the El Nino cycles,
2: El, El Nino, La Nina patterns um, do impact Utah, although there's not a, a strong correlation for northern Utah. Uh, the south- southwestern corner of the state does have a little bit of a correlation with El Nino, La Nina, meaning that when we go into an El Nino year, like this particular winter, um, we do tend to get a little bit of a boost to precipitation in southwestern Utah. The northwestern part of the of the country, uh, the Pacific Northwest, will tend to be a little bit drier, and the south- southwest will tend to be a little bit wetter when we have El Nino. And that does include essentially the southwestern corner of Utah. The rest of the state doesn't really have a strong relationship. Um, you know, for example, last year was a La Nina year, and we anticipated below average precipitation throughout the state because of that, and mm. also because the two previous years had also been La Nina years, and those were bad. <laughs> mm. And then look what happened. So <laughs> a lot of it has to do with where the jet stream sets up, and if we get those atmospheric rivers, um, and if we can if we can keep that that large blocking atmospheric high pressure from from blocking our storms and get those atmospheric rivers then we'll, we'll benefit statewide probably um, but if, you know, if we're just looking at general el nino patterns we'll probably do you know at least statistically it suggests that we'll do a little bit better in the southwestern corner of the states.
0: okay i i just want to go back you said that lake powell rose 60 feet this past water year which is an incredible height you know that's six stories uh, but <laughs> but you're saying that it's still uh what less than 50% full or 60% Oh, far less far less yeah, than that far, so, yeah and
2: I, I apologize i don't have the value in front of me but, in terms of what percent of capacity is right now
0: but the the point is it is really it still has needs a lot of water to to get back to what we considered a normal or average condition maybe another 60 feet or something
2: well yeah although it's not linear uh, because Right. when you get into the deeper and deeper portions of the reservoir it's it's a little bit of a narrower reservoir whereas you know we get higher in elevation it spreads out a little bit more so mm-hmm. one foot of gain when it gets a little higher is a lot more water than than you know those sixty five feet that we're talking about right so it might not take another 60 feet i i don't know the exact value on that but but um but yeah
0: but the i guess the takeaway here is that you know all of our local reservoirs have recovered, or like you say, are 85, 90, 100% full. But Lake Powell is way downstream. An example of a, a body of water that's way downstream, so it gets the it gets the kind of the uh, the water that's left over, let's say. Uh, and so it's still got a lot of work to do. And maybe if we have another wet year, though, it'll get more runoff.
2: That's right. Yeah, we're hoping that because the upstream reservoirs will be, will need less. I should put it yeah, that way. Yeah. That we can, you know, pass more of the water through those reservoirs and allow it to to fill Powell a little bit more. And the same thing, we we got a boost in Lake Powell from Flaming Gorge, as is, is part of how the whole Colorado uh-huh. Basin is managed. And of course, that water needs to be replenished in Flaming Gorge now as well. So the, those really large water bodies need to see uh, another good snowpack year to kind of get them back to where they need to be.
1: I wanted to um, circle back a little bit to our soil moisture um, Mm -hmm. discussion um, and kind of how that relates to stream flow. So um, one of the things we've been seeing is a little bit less. like risk or we've gotten, we haven't gotten as close to our streams drying up that we worry about and kind of watch come close to that point each year. Um, And obviously that soil moisture is related to that stream flow. Do you look at that stream flow and have you seen that kind of hold throughout the state as well?
2: Yeah, we've definitely, if I'm understanding you um, correctly, we, we definitely have seen that, that positive relationship between when we have the above normal soil moisture conditions, we start to get that snow melt above those wet or or, or average soils, and we get a nice delivery of, of water from that snowpack into our streams, compared to the opposite, um, where we have really dry soils that Um, retain a lot of that moisture and it doesn't make it downstream and our reservoirs and streams don't do as well Um, we definitely saw that going into last snowpack season now of course our snowpack was so amazing that it's a little bit hard it was such an atypical year but um, but we did have above normal soil moisture going into last snowpack season which was great because that tends to be how you come out of the snowpack season as well and so that means that when all that snow was melting we had uh, we didn't have to, to fill up as much water into the soil bucket if you will we could deliver a much more uh, much larger percentage of that water downstream we actually wound up with um, uh, a whole bunch of of, of locations that had 400 percent of normal flow uh, particularly in the severe in southwestern utah uh, during our runoff period which was extraordinary and even more locations that had more than twice the amount of normal flow and, and again most of it had to do with the extraordinary amount of snow but it wouldn't have been as beneficial if we hadn't had above normal or, or close to normal soils throughout the state. Um, so that that was a huge help.
1: Okay. So our, our streams were happy as well as yeah, the soil. That's
2: true. Yes, they were. They were happy. And, you know, it was interesting, though, because despite what I just said, there was a little bit of replenishment to the soil moisture and to, excuse me, to the so- deep soil and to the groundwater. A little bit more than we had anticipated. So, despite those outstanding runoff numbers, and of course the reservoir fills and all those things that we've been talking about, we actually didn't get quite as much water as we had forecasted throughout the state. Um, particularly in, in you know, area, certain areas around um, the Wasatch Front and, and south along the spine of the mountains throughout the state of Utah, north south. Not as much for the Colorado Basin, but this was more of the case for. Um, the western portion of the state in particular um, where we received a little bit less water than we expected still a great runoff season but we think that we lost a little bit more water to runoff. To, excuse me to groundwater and to soil moisture building uh, than we had anticipated
0: right i remember now going back you know uh in april and may there was a the fear of a lot of flooding that ex- right. too much runoff too quickly but i think the the uh, melt and the runoff occurred in a very measured manner. I mean, now you could give us a little thought insight as uh, whether you you were planning for flooding at Swanner, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. But yeah. did it,
0: did you see it? No. 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 Okay. Yeah. So Jordan, was that kind of the case across the across the area?
2: It really was, and part of that had to do with the weather pattern that we
0: received right. this spring
2: during the melt. Um, where we would have cool-downs and we would have a little bit of warm-ups and cool-downs and that kind of stair-step melting really did a good job um, in evening out the runoff so it didn't all come at once and cause a lot of flooding. But we did also lose some, not all that had to do with the weather. Um, Some of it had to do with losses to, again, the deep soils and the groundwater, so much so that I was having interesting conversations with uh, Brian McInerney, who used to be at the Weather Service, Mm -hmm. about City Creek, um, because at one point we were seeing the snow disappear from our, our two snow tell sites that are in that watershed and we weren't seeing much of a response in city creek and we were kind of wondering where the water was <laughs> <laughs> and they actually flew a drone up and down that watershed to try to make sure that there was nothing that um that that w- wow. was unanticipated in terms of maybe some blockage or something upstream right and it turned out that a lot of that water it did come down a little bit later than expected but it, it what had to happen first is that we had to replenish some of those deeper soils and some of that groundwater um and it just didn't it didn't re- come off it didn't respond the way that we had anticipated um, so i think that there was a little bit more of a loss to that deeper groundwater than we had anticipated and it did affect our forecast accuracy which is kind of
0: interesting to see that's fascinating ah, yeah so so your models get revisited as a result
2: Ex- exactly yeah we're hoping to learn from this and right. to do a better job
0: yeah next step all right well where can people go to say maybe read more about the the water year and everything the utah uh, snow survey does
2: yeah so we have a brand new web page uh the the link to it is too long so i'll just ask you to search for utah snow survey and your favorite search engine that'll take you there and there you can find uh, graphs of current conditions you can find a map of how your favorite watershed is doing and you can also find links to the reports that I've been referencing, our climate and water reports and our water spy outlook reports that have
0: all this information. All right, Jordan Clayton with the Utah Snow Survey. As always, thank you for taking the time to uh, chat with us this morning, and we'll be talking soon.
2: Yes, I always enjoy talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Thanks, all Jordan. Right. All right, let's take a little break uh, for some underwriters. And when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll talk to our uh, second guest, our special guest <laughs> uh, i'll just leave it at that it's this green earth we'll be right back ah welcome back to this green earth weekly talk show about our environment and our relationships with it i'm chris cherniak i'm nell larson and okay so this is what we're going to do now this is your <laughs> last show it is okay um And so we're going to chat with you. We're going to spend the rest of the show chatting with you about your uh, experiences, not only on the show, but also as an employee and then eventually executive director at Swanner Eco Center and, and Preserve about that. And to help me. Because I only have, like, two or three questions. Yeah, or
1: not not so much I've to say. Nothing. There's nothing really. <laughs> help me
0: with this interview Yeah, it's Carolyn Wara, Executive Director of Recycle Utah.
3: Good
1: morning. In. Hello. Happy last day, Nell. Oh uh, thanks, Carolyn. Happy last day. And, and Carolyn is also, like, a trusty guest co-host. So when one of us is out, she jumps in. Right.
0: And so she's here to fill in when, like I say, I run out of questions and comments. So, so yeah. Carolyn, thanks for joining us this morning. And... Let's go. Um, so now you, you arrive out here in what? 2007? Six. 2000, oh, 2006. Yep, yep. You graduated from, got your degree mm-hmm. from whatever, what, the University of Yale or something, like, yep. some college back east. <laughs> um, and you come out here. And was your first job, did you actually get hired by Swanner? as I, your first job?
1: I did. Okay. It was like a small, little independent nonprofit at the time. It was tiny, and we, um, like before, like Best Buy and all of that stuff was built. That's where we worked from. There was a little trailer. It was a construction trailer. It was
0: two trailers. Right? It, was well, it was a double wide. Because you a shared double it. Wide. With, yep. It was nice, <laughs> uh, but yeah, dirt parking
1: lot. Yeah. Was a, nothing yeah. was out there. There's nothing there. Okay. And that's where we worked from. And I came out for a three month internship actually. Oh. Yeah. So your and plan was to leave. Yes. Yeah, my plan was to leave. <laughs> um, I had friends and roommates waiting for me in San Francisco. I, I no showed on them and stayed here in Park City. Um, they offered me a full-time job at yeah. Swanner, the director did, and I said to her like, thank you so much for the offer. Um, but, you know, my friends and family are like all back East or, you know, yeah. like out in California. Right. and But I would love to like do it for a year. And so she said, this is Colleen Reed yeah, Rush. Right. And she said, oh, well, yeah, like that sounds great. You know, so she she knew I would be hooked and wouldn't leave after that.
0: Okay. And, and here you are 17 years or so later. Yeah. Um, at the time... That you that Swanner was literally getting it footing and getting started uh, what were the overall goals and objectives you start off as ED you get like what what were you your vision back in 2006 2007 uh, of what 2023 might look like
1: oh man I, I don't think I could have ever imagined this. Um, I think that the organization's founders, the Swanner family and those early board members really did always have this big vision for the organization to have not just the preserve itself, but to have education programs and to have a place people could visit. Um, And at the time I jumped in at 2006, there had been a lot of transition and very shortly thereafter, The decision was made to build the eco center Mm. and there was a really short timeline so like the board and the leadership just jumped into action and they were i remember they were just going on overdrive to try to get the building built because it had this. the piece of land was donated by new park that the eco center sits on but the eco center had to be built before like the hotel and the other structures so it was like you know kind of like this now or never thing and i think that really I don't know, catalyzed the action and um, the organization kind of went for it. And that changed us as an organization significantly, mm-hmm. obviously, having a, like a museum.
0: Right. An education center, mm-hmm. an events center. So yeah, for, yeah. For environmental and ecological programs, and, yeah. et cetera. So if no Swann Preserve, what do you think would be there?
1: Oh, eight, they suffered, 800, 850 dwelling units. That was the plant. Yeah, at some point. Yeah, we have this ancient map at the eco center that with an overlay that shows kind of all of the developments that had been kind of you know platted and um, planned, and some of them got far enough along that there's like a there's a fire hydrant that's out on the preserve a little ways near the Bittner underpass, um, and. Yeah, I think the efforts came together to kind of preserve this meadow, is how they referred to it. It's a wet meadow, it's a type of wetland. And they started to discover oh, this is really rare, it's really important. Like talking about snowpack and flooding mm-hmm. and water, I mean, without that preserve, I don't know what kind of a situation Kimball Junction would be in um, because it just provides such a buffer for. For snowpack and for water to reabsorb into the ground anyway right. they they were learning more about this and so as they learned about it they kind of expanded the efforts and expanded the efforts to what it is today
0: we're speaking with <laughs> nell larson my co-host <laughs> um and executive director at swanner uh preserve and eco center and hey if you're if you're interested in sending a message to Nell. <laughs> right,
1: Claire? Uh, Absolutely.
4: We would can... love to get them from you. You can text us at 435-655-8255. In fact, I have a couple. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Um, I know. Nell, we are going to miss you deeply. And so is this community. So we have a couple messages for you. One from Meg Steele. You know Meg. Oh. A lot of people out there do as well. Nell, thank you for all you've done. To build the Swanner and the Park City community, you'll be missed. Best of luck in this next chapter, Meg. Meg, thank you. And then we also have one from Celia Peterson, who mm. is the Park City Sustainability team and she says dear nell thanks for sharing your knowledge beautiful voice and love of nature with us best of luck with your new endeavors
1: oh thanks celia so
4: if you also want to send a message out to nell again you can text us at 435-655-8255 <laughs>
1: Celia's an awesome partner and right. frequent guest
0: and frequent guest, exactly and and an example of how this town how this county has evolved over the 15, 20... Honestly, we've been here at the same time. Length of time, 16, 17 years. Um, And Carolyn, you too can jump in at how this uh, community has evolved uh, with respect to environmental awareness and mindfulness, programs and activities, uh, government-funded efforts. I mean, there is a lot that has gone on uh, yeah. Here in, in protecting the environment, understand. And to that point, you, you can't say enough. Imagine 850 homes, let's say. These were going to probably be single family homes or something Primarily, or, yeah. Out at Swaner Preserve. Yeah. That's what Swaner Preserve was kind of headed for. Yeah. That meadow. Yeah. Um, without the efforts of the Swanner family of course mm-hmm. uh, uh but efforts like you, you too yeah well the, and
1: the whole the whole community i mean yeah. the county was really involved and neighbors were involved and you know developers were involved i mean it like it was a community-wide effort for sure what year did <coughs> what year did the building get built um 2008 and into 2009 was well, so that happened right to, when you
3: got to town i when you were telling about i came to town in 2006 also but I left. I came for the winter, had a good ski bomb season, went back to Minnesota. I did that twice before I settled <laughs> um, all the time out here. Uh, so kudos to you for sticking it out from the start. I never got away. Um, so well, I didn't I, realize it got built so soon after you got involved with Swanner. It, um I, Yeah, I heard you on Leslie's show saying, "Oh, we're a little cramped over in our offices." I was like, now you don't even understand. My office is the yeah. kitchen, I the conference know. room, and someone else's office and the storage Multi-use. room. So we are totally living that. We, like Utah, would gladly move into Swanner's office. Yeah, and be a little, little cramped.
0: Well, maybe <laughs> now that uh, Nell's so gone, jealous, yeah. she'll give up her palatial yeah. corner office. <laughs> oh, yeah, I will
3: work remotely from Swanner. That'd be a little weird.
1: <laughs> Just in this town. I don't know. You know, it's going to be open for a few months. Yeah, you can okay. fight, you can fight with the staff for it. And
0: oh, uh, no. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. You're the, you're, they're looking for a new executive director. Yeah.
1: Right, okay. Yeah.
0: So, so that, that's, uh, they're not going to leave it empty. <laughs> fi- fi- a I think it'll be it.
1: heavily used in the meantime. The, okay. the new ED might actually have to like kick some other people out when they move in. All
0: right. Well, let's, let's turn towards your next chapter. Where are you going? why are you leaving? Why are you leaving
1: <laughs> well um <laughs> well. my partner Jonathan and i You're are to say that's a good question, moving great. excellent that's question
0: thank. But, you.
1: We're moving to Los Alamos, New Mexico. Um, and um, we've both accepted roles at Los Alamos National Laboratory. Um, and so I'll be, the, the laboratory is launching their new enduring environmental stewardship program. And um, I will be the program manager for that. So um, kind of developing that strategy um, at the lab in partnership with all the people that are already working on like the various parts of that mission at the lab.
0: Yeah. So when you say lab, you're, you mean, you're not just like environmental stewardship for some building or something. This is right. a large tract of land that yeah. is incorporated. Okay. It's
1: almost 40 square miles. Oh. Um, the wow. la- the lab's land yeah. itself. Yeah. And just a very small portion of that has like the facilities on it. Right. And, and most of it is sort of open space. Tell us more about
3: the lab. Is it a university, state, federal lab? What do they usually study
1: there? It's so, um, it's operated by a federal contractor called triad, which is a partnership between three entities, two of which are university systems. Um, I think it's Texas A&M and and California Um, and uh, yeah. And so it's, you know, and it's obviously like a federal mission. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. So,
0: so your environmental stewardship of the of this roughly twenty five thousand acres of land. So there's there's a, a lot to steward.
1: There it, is. It, there is. Not yeah. Just
0: recycling. You know the the yeah. recycling programs, or <laughs> making sure there's LED bulbs in there. Right. No, you're continue to be like you're a steward of of the uh, mm-hmm. the preserve. Now you're looking at environmental stewardship with respect to 40 square miles of desert. Right. High desert.
1: High desert, canyons, mountains. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a broad array. Um, And they're really focused on, you know, water quality, air quality, being good stewards of that land for future generations. You know, endangered species, uh, wetlands, all of it. Project manager Mm -hmm. of
4: And as we all know, Nell is going to be a wonderful addition for that. And we will certainly miss her doing that here in our community. And I just got a message in from Tom Bradley, who says, Nell, we will all miss you in the community. Hope your next chapter is amazing.
5: Thanks, Tom. And we
4: also got another special... just a really nice, very special message. And Renee is going to read that for us um, that came in from the Park City Community Foundation. Oh. Okay.
5: Good morning, you guys. Hi, Renee. Hi. <laughs> thanks for joining us. Morning. Well, thanks for including me in this special <laughs> broadcast. Very bittersweet. Of course, we're excited for you now, but dang it, we're going to miss you. Oh, I'm going to miss this crew too. All right. Here's a message from the Park City Community Foundation's Andy Hecht. Clearly a fan of yours. He says, as we gather today for your final show, we are filled with bittersweet mix of emotions. While we celebrate your remarkable tenure as the executive director of Swanary Eco Center, we also bid farewell to the comforting presence of your voice and the wealth of insights you've shared with us week after week. Your dedication to the cause of environmental stewardship has left an indelible mark on Park City. We are immensely grateful for the positive impact you've had. At the Park City Community Foundation, we've witnessed your tireless commitment to environmentalism. Your voice on the airwaves has been a source of education and inspiration, shaping how we think about and engage with the environment. Nell, you are indeed one of a kind, and we've been fortunate to have you as a part of our community. We wish you all the best in your future endeavors and trust you will continue to shine your light on the path of environmentalism. With warm regards and sincere well wishes, Andy Hecht, Park City Community Foundation. Oh my gosh,
1: um, thank you. Thank wow. you, Andy.
5: Man, he put he words beautifully what I think we're all feeling about um, right. your next chapter, and we just we know you're gonna hit it out of the park. You're gonna be fantastic. Down there. Oh, thanks for they keep coming in too. (laughs) Uh, We have
4: one from Mayor Piper, Uh, Nell. Best wishes. I'll miss you and the smile in your voice. (laughs) Cheers. Uh, Thanks, Mayor. And also one from Mike, Nell. Thank you for being a steward for our local environment. You have been a real asset to our community, and wish you the best.
0: Ah, thanks. Thanks, guys. Uh, Wow,
1: this is this is (laughs) overwhelming, and I was completely. this was a surprise. These guys didn't let on <laughs> that this was the plan. But Claire did say she expected some tears in the studio today.
4: Okay. <laughs> I'm uh, like, because so. well, I thought I was going to do it. <laughs> so I'm like, you go first now.
1: <laughs> so
0: let, let's let's chat a little bit about the show, right? Yeah. Uh, we have Renee here, too. to t- mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you know, we've been doing this show. I think you you, you started here in, on the show in two thousand nine mm-hmm, as right. a co-host. Yeah. The show started in two thousand seven. I had a co-host there for by me and um, Karen Dillette was the first co-host, and then uh, Karen moved on, and Nell, who was a guest right, right. probably like yeah hey,
1: I was the conservation director at Swanner so I would come in and I would talk about <laughs>
0: talk about invasive con- yeah. plants or whatever and, and, and that and uh-huh. um, and then we decided hey well, do you want to co-host? Uh, <laughs> co-host somebody and, we
1: could share this load a little
0: bit yeah share the and, workload and that's how you start in 2009 so for uh for 14 years we've been co-hosting together plus or
1: minus plus or minus
0: um, You took a
1: little sabbatical in there.
0: I did. I went brief, I was away for a, was that? just for a year or so okay, um, yeah. but We were running running some numbers. It's 14 years okay. Forty five, some 500 between 500 and 550 shows we've done together um, wow. at roughly two guests per show.
1: Yeah,
0: we've interviewed over a thousand people. Right? Wow. And Nell and I were talking about hey, well, what it was, it wasn't like a memorable but what we can't think. It's like <laughs> nothing comes, comes. Oh come on, mind. nothing? You know, there's there's always the the big names, right? Yeah. Um uh Jacques Cousteau, uh, uh grandson I think he's also Jacques. Mm-hmm. So remember, we met, we yeah. interviewed him. He didn't like the idea that we called our show "This Green Earth." That was the first thing I remember him yes. saying. Welcome to "This Green Earth," and his first words: like, "There should be this Blue Earth."
5: Yeah, seventy-five uh, <laughs> I mean, percent of this fair planet. enough. Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: You
5: know <laughs> so Matthew I guess if you want to be up. literal, you, you would say <laughs> "This Blue Earth." Well, I just remember some fabulous. Um, as you guys know, we show, forward a bunch of story ideas to you guys all the time from the news department we get press releases from things all the time my favorite things you guys talk about are you know anything having to do with water that's always been great Mm -hmm. dark skies is always interesting Mm -hmm. bird migration patterns always interesting last
0: week Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah.
5: it's, it's and it's funny because you might think this is so shoehorned into environmentalism but you guys find a great way of turning it in turning it into a topic that makes me feel like I never knew that I cared about mer- bird migration as much as I do. and you Or tell how me important
0: why. it might be, too, as part of an overall biodiversity in uh, ecosystems.
5: I want to speak
3: to the, <clears throat> the combination of Nell and Chris. Chris can kind of get in the weeds <laughs> with um, data and details, and Nell's been always the one to, like, explain it to me as a normal person, please. So I really appreciate <laughs> the combination of the two of them because sometimes I can get, you know, numbers Data heavy like Chris, it's likes, our engineer But then there. I need Nell to oh. like, hey, what can I? How can I apply this in my real life?
0: As usual, I have no idea what you're talking about.
1: So, <laughs> Chris okay. likes to talk. That's now has gone. Too. Yeah, well,
0: finally I get. To, yeah. But you're right that it took us a while, uh, uh, like any yeah, partnership, yeah, uh, to, to get, gain a little chemistry about. The, the interviewing style and the arc of an interview and understanding that. Uh, I'd say it took about 130 shows, <laughs> but Renee, isn't that kind of standard? It takes some time to develop a rapport.
5: Claire, you do not have 130 shows to get used to <laughs> yes. co-partnering here with so, Chris Ternick. Any advice you have for Claire? Yeah. Well, we need to talk about this. What's next
1: for this Green Earth, which is exciting.
0: Uh, well, we're working on that. No, actually, uh, Claire. Claire Wiley is going to be uh, co-hosting
4: Big Shoes to Fill.
0: Um, Uh, I'm excited
4: for it, but it is Big Shoes to Fill, and I'm glad that I got to sit in and kind of be a fly on the wall every day, um, getting the guests in and then watching you guys dig deep and uh, peel away all those layers to understand it better. And so it's been really fun to listen in. And we're lucky because what?
5: Claire's been in the community for a long time, right. and yeah. Claire comes from a journalism background, and she's great at doing kind of what we said Nell was good at doing. Thank you, Carolyn. Right. Chris, you get in the weeds. Claire brings it back to you. What does it all mean right. to the person? That's, we'll hit the <laughs> ground. Plus, Claire <laughs> is right.
1: like an esteemed DJ, so yes. let's not forget. Oh. She brings <laughs> KPCW skills on the board.
5: That, um,
1: wow. All right, so you asked, do I have any words of advice for Claire. I think you just have to keep, I think you have to keep Chris in line. You know, he comes in every Tuesday morning. He's grumpy in the green room. Grouchy. Grouchy. Yep.
0: And then as soon as the light turns on. Judgmental about our
1: show choices.
0: Showtime.
3: Uh, you can you can bribe Chris. When Chris was on it's like he does board of directors, I'd be like, I'll buy
4: you lunch if you help me with this. I've tried a couple of times it, with coffee. Right. So. This is, right.
0: This is not about me. This is about Nell. And we only right. have a couple minutes right. left. We only
4: have a couple minutes left. So if you do have a message for Nell, uh, we can get them to her if I um, if it runs out of time. But if you want to text us right now, 435-655-8255, that's it's not a, a pledge drive. We're not it's Pledge drive, but we're you. doing it pledge drive Thanks. style, and and trying to get a nice message off to Nell as she uh, has been such a wonderful asset ah. to this green earth, and she's uh, moving forward. She's in moving her life. forward, but
0: you're not necessarily going away because uh, I think our plan right now is for you to touch base with us periodically and give us some. Yeah, yeah it's and not the last work. time
4: you'll hear Nell's voice.
5: So. <laughs> I
1: won't. I won't let you guys get away uh, without me um hopefully we we'll, i'll have a little a few cameos here and there with a a zoom interview yeah 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 well we'll we'll consider that
4: it's under consideration it's, yeah i think i think it's been green-lighted i know i was like i think that's already gone through chris <laughs> it's All gone right. through the it's channels it, yeah it's and gone maybe, up the ladder
0: <laughs> hey i, I maybe uh, los alamos or uh santa fe's public radio station needs uh, an environmental show they probably do
5: Okay.
1: Are you are you thinking of no, moving I'm thinking down? about you? <laughs> I'm thinking about you approaching
0: the, their radio stations just like I did here and say, hey, I could do this. And
4: I could do that. One thing I did want to touch on with Carolyn here too is um okay. you had kind of touched upon how the local nonprofits are they're a tight-knit community. And I know that that's why we are getting a lot of shout-outs for Nell too, because this program has meant a lot to people. But also In the community with swanner and carolyn i don't know if you want to say a little something about how you know i i watch you all in the community and watch you collaborate and get together and do a lot of things and you have been a great collaborator for our local environmental nonprofits
3: i think all nonprofits in park city i think live pc get november 3rd is a good example (laughs) of that you mean we could be a town that gets ruthless competitive in this. You know, we kind of get competitive on our bikes or our skis or mm-hmm. hiking or running. But when it comes to Live Give, we're like, hey, Nell, you're having a great day, me too. This is great. Everybody's having a good day. Or, you know, you'll see people in town like, oh, I see another nonprofit, I got to give them some love, or they need something from me. Um, sponsored does a community trash cleanup usually every spring. And they borrow all the supplies due to do it from Recycle Utah. Um, and it's perfect, you know. And I'm not going to say, oh, they took our stuff and they didn't give us credit. You know, it's really we're all in this together to make our community a better place. And I think that's something really special and unique about the nonprofit community here. And, um, you know, there's no one person to thank from it. From the Leadership Park City setting the example to Community Foundation. Um, there's a lot of leaders who kind of set the tone for how this community collaborates. And that's really unique.
2: All right.